You're listening to LawPod UK. It's a podcast that covers developments across all aspects of civil and public law in the United Kingdom. All the comments are current at the time of podcast publication. It's brought to you by the barristers at One Crown Office Row, and this edition is presented by Emma Louise Fenelon. Anyone who practices law will know that litigation can be unpredictable, time consuming, and costly. Before anyone has stepped inside a courtroom on day one of civil trial, typically tens, if not hundreds of thousands of pounds will already have been spent on legal costs, expert evidence, and counsel. Certainly any of us practicing personal injury, clinical negligence, and human rights law will be familiar with cases concerning relatively low damages that are often dwarfed many times over by their associated legal costs. I'm delighted, therefore, to be joined by Marina Wheeler QC of One Crown Office Row to tell us all about mediation. Marina, welcome back to the podcast. Hello, Emma. Perhaps the best place to start is to begin with the basics. Can you tell us, how does mediation differ from, say, arbitration or litigation, and why is it being so enthusiastically encouraged? Yes, well, arbitration like litigation involves handing over a dispute uh, to a third party for a binding decision. And mediation is quite different. In mediation, it's the parties that do the deciding. Of course, there is a, a third party, that's the mediator. But the mediator is there to facilitate negotiation between the parties. And the mediator does not decide anything that's critical. And the thinking is that if, if it's the parties themselves that are reaching a decision and resolving the dispute, they're more likely to stand by it and to implement it. It's a confidential, voluntary process. The parties can walk out any time, and indeed they sometimes do, and nothing is binding until it's put in writing and, and signed. And you're right that it is being encouraged It's being encouraged because there are clear advantages to it, some of which, Emma, you touched on in your introduction. So, of course, the cost, it's cheaper than litigation, it's quicker, and it's less stressful. But over and above that, it's also more flexible in terms of the potential outcomes, and it's less harmful to the the long-term relationship between the parties. And I, I think it's right to say that It has been officially encouraged in different ways, probably for about 20 years now. The government has made multiple commitments to promoting uh, mediation and judges do have the power to refer parties to mediation. They have the power to penalise the parties in costs if they unreasonably refuse an offer to engage. And there are a lot of us mediators out there, but... I think mediation is still very underused and underappreciated. It all sounds very sensible, but without talking myself out of a job, why doesn't everybody mediate instead of going to court, given those advantages? Yeah, good question. I mean, I think the nub of it is that once parties are in dispute, they want victory rather than compromise. I think they become convinced that theirs is the only objective truth, And they become convinced that once they get to court, the judge will see that. And it's easy for a dispute to to escalate. We all know that. And people get attached to the dispute. And I have to say, um, you and I hang our heads in shame, that lawyers do sometimes help in escalating disputes. 
I mean, one can think of, and I'm not just dumping on solicitors here, but one can think of solicitors' correspondence where they can be a bit feisty sometimes. Just a word or two out of place, misjudged word can lead the other side into a whole new sort of crescendo of fury about the dispute. And I think lawyers too fall prey to this, you know, what psychologists call cognitive dissonance, where they filter out the unhelpful evidence and only look at the things that bolster their own case. And then each side, you know, the party and the lawyer, both of them reinforce each other about the strength of the case. And once it gets to court, the other side will be emasculated. And I think also it's not intuitive necessarily to sit down with your arch enemy. It's probably a more natural certain sort of culturally we seem to be geared towards setting out for battle and you think you're right you want to win and you want to be vindicated i think the thing to stress is that research does show that the litigant even if they're successful is often very dissatisfied by the experience of litigation and that's not emma because we're bad at our jobs but i think it's because the expectation about what winning is like and what it feels like isn't generally met. And this comes back to the heart of the differences between litigation and and mediation. In litigation, the judge imposes a solution. And it's pretty rare for a party to get everything they want. They may get damages, but perhaps they want to know, for example, that the other side, the other party is sorry. Or they may want to be assured if it's a dispute with a public body perhaps that the system that's injured them has changed. So I think those are certainly some reasons why, despite the obvious rational advantages of mediation, as I say, it's still underused. I have to say from my own experience, I see this on both sides because often when advising claimants in particular who have experienced psychiatric damages, there is mention in psychiatric reports that the ongoing process of litigation is what is continuing their psychiatric injury. And on the other side of things, acting for defendants, I know that in particular acting for doctors and nurses, others involved in hospitals, how damaging it can be to have a professional question placed over you for years on end while litigation carries on. And I can certainly see the advantage of resolving that sooner rather than later so that both claimants and defendants can get on with their lives. But in terms of the process of mediation, can you tell listeners a little bit about the specific format? How does it operate? Well, there are different formats. There are formats that are quite like round table meetings. So you can have plenary sessions where you have all the parties together. You can have what's called sort of shuttle type mediation where the mediator will move between the different parties. I mean, it may be two or it may be multiple parties. Shuttling between them, having private caucus sessions. And, you know, I stress that everything about the mediation is is confidential and the mediator is always careful to say at each stage. When a party's told the mediator about something, the mediator is always careful to check that that information can be relayed to the party, the other party, because there may be some information that a party is happy to be relayed, but there may be others that is just for the mediator. And they may be taking also the mediator's advice about what 
to keep back and, and what to communicate. Although there are these different structures, I think that the beauty of mediation is its flexibility. And I think many mediators, I'd say myself among them, do use a combination of these different elements. So a combination of plenary and private caucus sessions, depending on the nature of the dispute and also depending on what the parties themselves want. Personally, I think plenary sessions can be very powerful, but lawyers can be quite reluctant to have their clients speak. Sometimes they're afraid that their client will come across as a bad witness or say something they shouldn't say. But other times they certainly see the value. And did a, a medi- in a mediation yesterday, the claimant solicitors wanted the defendant to see her client. I think she wanted that because she wanted to lift him from being a set of numbers on a schedule to being a human being. And the defendant's solicitor, I think as well, made use of the plenary session in that it was a case, I should say, where liability was admitted. So it was just quantum that was an issue. But the defendant's solicitor in that session offered to the claimant the facility for for him to ask any questions about what had happened. And you don't get that in, in litigation. So I think that flexibility is key. And I think also being guided by the parties as to what will work best for them. Listeners may know that in 2017, the NHS Litigation Authority renamed itself as NHS Resolution, having established a mediation panel, the focus of which was resolving clinical negligence and personal injury compensation claims through mediation. And since then, there has been a significant increase year on year in the number of cases resolved via mediation. So perhaps this might sound like a loaded question in that context, but does mediation work best for particular types of dispute? Well, I think that almost any dispute is amenable to mediation, almost. But as you say, it's, it's well established in, in certain areas, commercial construction, and as you say now, um, clinical negligence. And that's an area that Chambers generally does a lot of work in. And I think those that have been involved in those mediations have found them incredibly successful. And it's obviously sensible. I mean, it saves the NHS money in legal and other costs. And for the patient claimant... It provides a quicker resolution and, of course, they can get on with their lives. They can have a fund with which to buy in care or make adaptions to the home, whatever's needed. So I think, yes, the success of that is is well known. But I think, in my experience, the greatest value of mediation is in cases that involve a lot of emotion, You know, in cases where it's very important to preserve the relationship between parties where they need to work together in in the future. So one example of that is employment cases. And I've certainly litigated hundreds, well, I don't know, maybe even thousands over the years of, uh, of employment cases, and I've mediated some. But they really provide a sort of paradigm of the circumstances in which mediation can be so extraordinarily beneficial because a workplace environment, as you may imagine, is ripe for misperceptions and false assumptions for people questioning each other's motives. So mediation 
bringing the parties together with a skilled mediator, I think works extraordinarily well in those kinds of disputes. And I think court of protection cases, really interesting. So cases where decisions are being made for someone who lacks uh, capacity, of course, they're very sensitive cases. There's a lot of emotion involved a lot of the time. I mean, the, the Charlie Guard case, that heart-rending case where the baby had a very rare genetic condition and dispute between the professionals treating him from Great Ormond Street and the parents arose where the parents wanted to pursue experimental treatment for him and the hospital didn't think it was in his best interest. In that case, the judge had observed that mediation may have helped because, of course, in those fraught situations, there's such scope for friction. Both sides are trying to do their best, but a professional may not have time or may miscommunicate. And from there, a dispute can become entrenched. So I think court of protection, there's a huge scope for mediation there. And the, the court of protection rules, the 2017 rules, I think, do encourage its use. And it is being used more, quite rightly. And what would you say are the ingredients of a successful mediation for those particular of us practicing who um, are keen to increase our chances of settlement? Well, I think all mediations are different, but I suppose what they all have in common is that they all do involve some kind of fairly entrenched conflict. And the key to unlocking that is to create a, a trusting environment where the parties feel that they're being heard, but they're also confident enough to, to shift their position and, and maybe look at their dispute a little bit differently. The mediator has the advantage of being able to see all perspectives in the plenary and then the, the caucus sessions as the mediator shuffles from one place to another. And I think that once trust is established, and that is vital, then the mediator's role is to, to gently challenge and reality check. But I think that if they do that too soon, hackles can rise and the parties will double down on their established position. So I think a successful mediation involves the mediator not leading, not pushing too much, but following. And it might sound as if that doesn't involve skill. I think it does. And I think it isn't always possible to resolve the dispute. Sometimes it's not possible to resolve it on the day. Sometimes the parties need time to reflect and they go away. And then within the next few days, they feel able to sign off and they feel able to, to conclude matters. But I think it's never wasted. That's my experience, that the mediation, even if it doesn't settle all of the issues, will always narrow the issues at the very least. And I think that's certainly backed up by the most recent report from NHS resolution on mediation and healthcare claims, where they record that 74% of cases mediated are settled either on the day of mediation or within 28 days of the mediation date. So I think there's certainly value in that idea that seeing the whites of your opponent's eyes does focus minds, I think. So lots of our listeners will be involved in cases where mediation is being discussed and perhaps proposed by one side or they might face reluctance from their opponents about mediation. 
in terms of encouraging either their opponent or their instructing solicitor to consider mediation and prepare for mediation, do you have any tips? It's quite hard, as I sketched out earlier, it's quite hard when parties are absolutely entrenched in their position to to unlock that. But I think people are becoming more and more aware of the advantages of doing it. And as I say, there are some nudges. The system is providing some kind of nudges, both in terms of threats of costs in, in litigation, but, but also I think judges are more and more willing to adjourn, stay cases, stay claims in order for them to go to mediation. So I think there is already more and more of a push to to get there. But I think, let's assume then for a moment, and you asked me about tips for lawyers preparing. So assuming everyone's agreed and, you know, you're headed for the mediation. I think, again, the key thing to remember is mediation is not litigation. So don't prepare as if you're preparing for a trial. And one specific thing is, say, bundles. Don't spend lots of time and money trying to agree a bundle because generally, I can say as a a mediator, generally they don't help. I mean, a case summary is a very important document and I think it's an important exercise producing it. But bundles generally are not used and, as I say, they're a waste of, of money. I think the key thing in preparing for a mediation, if you're a lawyer and having to do a bit of a sort of mental culture shift, is to remember that on that day, you're not centre stage. It's the client that's centre stage. And take time to find out what the client wants from the day, what they really want. So not necessarily just a level of damages, Be imaginative. Is there an apology that might help them? Do they want perhaps a one-to-one meeting with someone? So I think work out a strategy of what to offer and when. And I think give thought to things like, call it a, a sweetener, late sweetener can be a very valuable thing. So if you're the stronger party in a a litigation and perhaps you've had a long day mediating, everyone is beginning to, to sort of flag... A small concession can provide a way for the other side to retreat with some dignity intact. And sometimes that's called the golden bridge. But I think if you can in advance as a lawyer, just think about some of those things. Uh, I think the chances of of reaching a settlement um, are greatly increased. In terms of where you see mediation going, are lawyers likely to be put out of business as a result of the popularity of mediation. And I hope, I hope your answer is no. But I suppose there's, there's some genuine concern that the introduction of mediation into the litigious sphere of contested disputes means that lawyers will be less needed. And I just wonder how realistic that concern is or can mediation sit side by side, you know, um, legal practice. Well, that's a very good and honest question, Emma. And I think, as you hoped, my answer is lawyers have nothing to fear. The courts are not going to empty as mediation gains, you know, traction and steam. As you say, mediation will be just one of a sort of mix of different ways of resolving disputes. And and I'm confident that it will take on an increasingly prominent place. And of course, we are all concerned about what will it mean for us. And there's no doubt that litigating for us is a 
job. It's a wonderful one. Challenging, as you, I'm sure, would agree. Varied, full of drama, great buzz when you win. But for the parties, for those litigating and, and being in dispute, of course, litigation really isn't much fun at all. And coming back to research that I mentioned earlier, the litigant, of course, can be fired up during the process. But later when it's over, they see the bill and that's generally not something that is very cheering. But the other thing is being in a dispute can completely consume your life. And all that time spent trying to wreak revenge or inflict some pain Uh, Many litigants, they emerge from that and wonder, you know, why have I spent all of this time? So I think we should take that on board and embrace mediation as a way of resolving some kinds of disputes because the results can be extraordinary. My rallying cry, Emma, would be, don't waste your life, mediate. That's what it comes down to. So grateful to you for describing in detail how mediations work. I'm sure our listeners will have taken an enormous amount of value from that. And we will link the NHS report mentioned so that those involved in clinical negligence can read that at their leisure. But thank you very much for coming on the podcast once again, Marina. It was lovely to have you. Thank you very much, Emma. LawPod UK was presented by Emma Louise Fenelon and is produced by One Crown Office Row. For more editions of LawPod UK, you can subscribe to the podcast and recommend us to a friend.